0: Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In today's episode, we chat with Dave Harvey about his book, I Still Do, Growing Closer and Stronger Through Life's Defining Moments. For more help on this topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash Help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Dave Harvey serves as the president of the Great Commission Collective, a church planting ministry in the U.S., Canada, and abroad. Dave also founded micalled.com, pastored for 30 years, serves on the board of CCEF, and travels widely across networks and denominations as a popular conference speaker. He is the author of When Sinners Say I Do am I called and rescuing ambition. He and his wife Kim have four kids and four grandchildren and live in Southwest Florida. Hey there, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today.
1: Christine, thanks for inviting me to have the conversation.
0: I'm really excited to speak with you today about these new books. But before we get started in our conversation, would you take a few minutes to share why you wanted to write this particular book?
1: Yeah, I think there were several different experiences that kind of converged at uh, some kind of intersection in my mind. Um, One of them was there was a a slow dawning that that as I look back on our marriage and our life uh, for Kim and I, they they were filled with these these defining moments, these seasons where our decisions or our behavior created a kind of arc for our marriage. And uh and, and one of the things I noticed just with us is that is that often when we go into something like that, we're in a we're in a survival mode uh when we're going through them and we're just looking to kind of persevere and not necessarily process. Mm-hmm. So it was like what what would it be like to have a marriage resource that that gave voice to some of those common defining moments that that shape marriages and, and arm couples ahead of time? So that that was one of the things. And then secondly, was that I, I published a, a marriage book about 10 years back called When Sinners Say I Do. And just in in doing conferences and talking to people and counseling with people, I, I began to see that 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 resource was used typically for premarital and and newlyweds and and maybe crisis intervention a bit as well. But I began to see the need Christine for a for a kind of companion volume, something that helped people think about how to navigate beyond the early years and uh, and, and and what would help marriages be durable for the long run what would help make them last? And so, yeah, I, you know, those kind of things and a couple other things were kind of coming into my mind. And uh, and I talked to Baker about it and they were excited about the ideas and, and said they not only wanted a book, but they wanted a study guide and a 31 day devotional as well. So that's kind of how it came into being.
0: I appreciate how you just said that you wanted to give a voice to these particular defining moments that you recognized with your wife were really opportunities for maturing in Christ for growing in intimacy and and drawing near together because that idea that you wanted to give voice like that has given me a voice now as i read these particular stories you know i'm seeing my marriage reflected in them things that we have gone through that at the time when we were walking through them I thought something strange was happening. You know, it's like, whoa, this. why is this so hard? Why is this so disorienting? Um, and so I really do appreciate the care and attention you put into compiling these defining moments for us. And so I think because we're probably going to use that term a lot in our conversation today, I wondered if you could maybe talk about what the defining moments of marriage are, maybe just like a broad sweep of that concept and maybe offer some examples of what you mean by that.
1: Sure. Yeah. When I use the term defining moment, and when I write about it in the book, I'm I'm talking about certain experiences, events, or decisions that determine a direction for our marriage. A defining moment, in the way that I'm using it, typically holds five different points. Just imagine it like as a star with five points. It presents a decision for truth. It requires a cost. It offers an opportunity. It grows the soul and then sets a course or a, a direction. And so the book has eleven different defining moments in it. And uh, there's a defining moment on of uh, the moment of blame, the moment of weakness, when your spouse suffers, when you discover sex changes with age, when dreams disappoint. Uh, There's one on when the kids leave. Actually, I can I can talk about that one for a second. Um, Chapter 10 is titled When the Kids Leave. And uh, Kim and I were just talking not all that long ago. We were remembering back uh, in the first years of our marriage and even deeper in dealing with with in-laws. Kim comes from a very close family and uh, and she was the oldest and she was the first to be married. And, and and, you know, Christine, it's really hard to know how you're supposed to navigate all that when you come from a family where we're one or two of the parents, you're really connected to them. And, uh, you know, if, if you have adult kids right now and you're listening, you know, it's it's hard for you to know how to do it, how, how to locate yourself in in all that. And so one of the things that that Kim lived with is she lived in this tension where she didn't want to disappoint her parents, but she also knew that God had changed her relational world once she got married. That there was there was a new family for me. We were having we were having children. We were building our own culture, and you know when you think about it, Christine, the the, the idea, the command to leave and cleave, is really to trigger dramatic shifts in relationships, and that becomes a huge adjustment for everyone and and everyone's expectations have to reshift and sometimes expectations are, are are disappointed. And so the point that I make and that I get into in the book is that how couples deal with that becomes a defining moment, whether they end up uniting around that or whether they end up over accommodating the wrong things. But regardless of, of what it is, it plots a direction for the marriage.
0: So, Dave, then how did you see the need for recognizing these defining moments in marriage?
1: I, I think it was just, you know, Kim and I just celebrated our, our 38th anniversary. And I think over the years, there were times, like, like I was just illustrating through that story, like, there were times like that where we just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like we were in an important moment, but, but the path was unclear um, wisdom seemed elusive. And, uh, and, and once we got through it and, and talked about it and, and tried to gain some perspective on it, it was like, gee, it would have really been nice to know certain things sooner. <laughs> and so this book is what we wish we would have known sooner.
0: I agree. This book is also what I wish we would have known, (laughs) Um, you know, even over the last few years as our, you know, one of our children has grown into the teenage years and navigating the various challenges that, that that brings for the first time. I mean, even in the last few weeks, we faced decisions and and upsets. And we're like, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? And so I do really appreciate that angle in the book. I'd like to spend a few minutes, maybe, you know, you just unpacked one of the defining moments, but I wonder if we might focus on the weakness component. So you write in the book that marriage is the union of two people on a journey to discover their weaknesses. What do you mean by that statement?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that when You know, when sinners say I do was two people on a journey to discover their their sinfulness. And uh, and I think that is a really important foundational discovery within marriage. Mm -hmm. In this book, I expanded out the category of of weakness because I I think it's it's very common to understand marriage as a place where your spouse makes you a better person. And, And it is. Um, but the problem is we confuse better with stronger. In in other words, in Scripture, better means more dependent upon God. Better means trusting God more. Better means that God becomes larger for us. The cross becomes larger, and and we become smaller. And so, our our, our strengths, our natural strengths, our natural proclivities they are not the places where we typically encounter God. It's the places of weakness and the places of need where we tend to encounter God. And so our spouse and our marriage is designed in part to reveal our heart. It it, it reveals what we love more than God, what we trust in more than God. And that was kind of the first book you know that it moves towards sin but it also reveals all of the places and all of the ways that we're not god that we're not omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and uh we're not omnicompetent we're we're not eternal we're finite we're not strong we're we're weak and so god uses marriage to reveal our weaknesses. And that, and that's really important because I think if you're anything like me, many people see their marriage as a forum to display their faithfulness, to display their wisdom, their organization, their their superiority or or maybe even unconsciously God's validation of them. But there's a whole other side of marriage that isn't as often talked about, and certainly not advertised when marriage is talked about, and that is marriage as a place where God, where God hammers us, and we learn desperation, and we experience irrational fears, and, and God breaks us down until the confidence that we had in our own strength, and in the confidence that we had in our own leadership, whether it's to lead the marriage forward or to, to be great parents, the confidence we have in ourselves kind of lies lies tattered at our feet. And we end up agreeing with the statement that God has already made over us, which is that we're not strong, we're weak. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not the strength that we ultimately boast in that brings God's glory. It's It's our dependence upon him. So I guess in saying all that, I'm saying that God knows this. He understands this. And so he uses marriage in a strategic way to produce this. And a lot of times that's very unsettling for couples because they think that marriage is just supposed to be making them stronger and making them appear like they're stronger or putting their strengths on display for for the whole neighborhood to see and you know i just think it's it's interesting that when we think about paul when we think about second corinthians you know weakness is so important to god that he'll take that which elates us and he'll reshape it into lessons of dependence and trust so the lesson of the thorn in second corinthians paul says to, to keep me from being too elated god gave me a thorn in the flesh and and i think god will will take some of these the the highest earthly experiences we can have, like marriage, like parenting. He can take some of the highest earthly experiences we have to teach us the greatest need that we have f- for him to teach us that that we're weak.
0: Dave, I just want to say real fast that I think in the book, you do such a great job in kind of expanding our vision beyond like what you said when when you wrote when sinners say I do you know we're really focused on the the sin component you know the sin in my heart the sin in my spouse's heart and and that dynamic but this book really broadens the scope to include things like weakness or even my husband shared with me as he was reading your book last night a particular page that really stood out to him and so I'm gonna go off script for just a second and if Brett is listening this question is for you I'm gonna go ahead and read the part that stood out to him because it was really encouraging to me as well, and I think builds off of what you were just talking about. You write that to thrive in marriage over the long haul, we need to care for our spouse as a whole person, and that means seeing how God's good news speaks not only to our spouse's sin, but also to their brokenness. Can you uh, elaborate on that for just a minute?
1: Yeah, the the, the first defining moment in the book is when you discover brokenness is broader than sin. And I think one of the things that happens is that that a a lot of married couples, a lot of Christian married couples, uh, when they enter marriage, uh, is that is that they life is pretty bifurcated. It's 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 about sin and righteousness. It's you know, there's there's very little gray in between. And you work within those those categories. I, I, I think that the as you grow older together. You begin to see uh, the emergence of these other categories, one of which we were just talking about weakness, but that's not the only one. You you begin to see how the way that your spouse was raised, whether they were from a single parent family. A two-parent family, were they from poverty or, or affluence? Was there abuse in the family? Was there addiction in the family? Do, do their parents come from that kind of background? Those influences, you begin to realize, while they're not determinative, they have a profound influence. And so it just broadens out your, your sense of how change takes place and the kind of care and understanding that we need to bring into marriage, because we want to see our spouse as a whole person, mm-hmm. and not simply just a, like a heart on a stick. Where hey, you just change your heart, just repent, and you know everything's going to change. Well, I do believe in repentance. I believe in the power of repentance. But if I'm really going to study another human being, I'm never going to reduce them down to just their their heart. I want to understand them. Holy, and so, in that second chapter, which is represents the first defining moment, I, I walk the reader through these series of nested circles that I got from David Pollison. and uh, they're, you know, David Pollison just had a brilliant way of illustrating how it's not just about the heart—that's one circle—but that that heart is physically embodied, and so we have to understand that the heart and the body are are intricately intertwined with each other. Mm-hmm. And and we can say, oh, it's irrelevant. You know, you just just make these decisions or you just just believe this. But you you remove three days of sleep from the average Christian and and they will discover very quickly that the ability to obey has been substantially weakened by the fact that they have not had any sleep. And and so you take that and you move it into suffering, you move it into other ways that the body. I mean, we're growing older. There's physiological issues and menopause and, you know, all kind of things that affect us, that in order to live with our spouses in an understanding way, have to become more and more a part of our interpretive grid. So physically embodied, then the next circle is socially embedded. That goes to, you know, just the, the upbringing, wh- wh- where you come from, your family of origin, and some of the other things that have influenced you. And then Powelson talks about a- another circle, which is almost surprising, but he talks about spiritually embattled, mm-hmm. how we live in this world. And, and if we're going to be thoroughly biblical, we recognize there is an enemy of our soul. There are influences, wicked influences that would seek to destroy our marriage, to take us down, to to take our soul down. And that's a reality that if we're going to understand personhood accurately, we have to include that as well. And then the final circle, and this is what a part of what just rang my bell about this diagram was the God of providence and, and how all of these things are in operation and all of these things can have influences, but it's all unfolding within the purview and the will of the God of Providence who ordains all things and causes all things to work together for good. So you know, Joseph can come from a dysfunctional family with an enabling father and his brothers sell him into slavery and I mean, it's just a horrific scene. He's 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 exiled to another country, He never even returns to his country of origin. Uh, He has people accusing him. He ends up in prison unjustly um, for 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 years. And 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 then all of a sudden, you know, you fast forward to the end of the book. And and he's saying, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So all of those things in Joseph's mind played out. They were significant. They were serious. They were heartbreaking. But they all played out within the circle of God's providence.
0: I love that you bring those circles into the conversation and and especially into the book because I just recently had a conversation about how past sexual abuse actually affects a marriage's sex life. And there are people who are in that deeply entrenched kind of pain and suffering where they're trying to, you know, foster intimacy and care for their spouse in the context of of marriage, but they have those abuses and, and the hurts and the scars like you referenced there in the conversation. And, you know, sometimes when we have those types of past issues that we need to wrestle with we can almost as a spouse you know say well that's your that's your issue and you need to work through that and there's nothing I can do to help you you just need to process and get over and take a really hard or cold approach to it and and to their suffering but in the book you made a statement and you actually have a whole section dedicated to the suffering of our spouse so in what I just mentioned is maybe a past suffering that is still influencing a person's present day but even if it's a current suffering or or a Future expected suffering on the horizon. You write in the book that quote, in this world your spouse will suffer, but how you respond to that unwelcome and unexpected suffering may be the difference between a cynical heart and a defining moment of hope. Can you explain why that's true?
1: Sure. You know, you 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 stay married long enough and and one of you will suffer. And yet how we respond when our spouse suffers. And let me stop there to say one of the reasons why I wanted to write about this defining moment is because it's about when your spouse suffers, not about when you suffer. There's so many excellent and exceptional resources out there about how to process suffering. But I didn't find a lot out there about like, what, what are we supposed to do when our spouse suffers? So I I wanted to write specifically on that. And and how we respond when our spouse suffers says a lot about our true vision for marriage. You know, was that vision ultimately sanitized or just narrowed down to the good times where occasionally we prop each other up, but really it's just going to be us, you know, walking through life and living the American dream? Or was there a sense where, part of what marriage is is it's it's helping another person who is a sinner who is has weaknesses you know grow grow old well and die well and suffer well you know there's there's suffering that just kind of bends us inwards and and so one of the things that god does is it gives us a spouse and i think our spouse is supposed to help to reconnect us back to god reconnect us back to grace get us thinking outward rather than oh inward i, I just i was just thinking about one of the things i talk about in the book I, I know a guy named scott who for a while lived in canada and his his wife Jeannie has a chronic kidney disease and on an inbound flight that they were making to denver Okay, so remember, they lived in Canada to Denver. She collapsed on the flight and Jeannie could not be moved. She could not fly. She she could not return to Canada. And so they and they needed immediate medical help. So, you know, they're like, "This, this can't be happening. We live in Canada. We're stuck in Denver. And because they lived in Canada, they had no medical insurance in the States. They had a mortgage for a house up in Canada. And so they're just parking in Denver and trying to get her care and trying to like hold their life together. But uh, some people that were in Denver knew that this guy was a pastor. And so they asked him to start a Bible study. And because his wife was like, Hey, I don't know what's happening, but I know that there's a God of providence that encircles this whole thing. She said, go do it. Go, you know, and so he did, started this Bible study and the Bible study grew And so he was giving himself to it. She would give what she could. And eventually the question began to be pressed. Hey, you know, this is growing. Should we become a church? And so they actually ended up planting a church. church. I mean, the whole thing is kind of mind boggling when you think about it, planting a church in your layover city. Hmm. And so they they ended up uh, buying a building. They installed a lead pastor. And by that time, his wife was stable enough to return to Canada. And so when I think about, you know, the role of a spouse in helping a spouse suffer and loving them, caring for them, guiding them, you know, there was a sense where I think he was able to inspire in his wife a, uh, a, a vision that even though this inconceivable thing has taken place, we're stuck here in a city, in another country, God has a plan. And he has a plan for for you in, in your suffering. And glorious things can take place, even though, you know, life is not what we expected. So I love that story.
0: That is an amazing story. Thank you for taking a few minutes to share that. What an incredible testimony. Um, super, super encouraging. Well, let's say, let's just turn to a real practical approach to this topic. Now, let, let's say that you're meeting with a couple for the first time who is just really stuck in a marriage rut, what practical first steps would you suggest they take as they partner with Jesus to work their way out of it?
1: I would probably invite them to consider some questions. I would say, are, are you locating yourself in the problem sufficiently? Or are you locating yourself in the problem as a sinner with your weaknesses? In other words, are you in this situation with your spouse occupying the moral high ground, or are you seeking to apply Scripture for where you may have a log in your own eye? And that, you know, Matthew chapter 7, why do you see the specks in your brother's eye? Don't take notice that the log, log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And then Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out. So, so the brilliance of, of the analogy being used there in Matthew 7 is that Jesus is saying if you really want to help another person with where you think they are sinning or failing, then begin by examining yourself, begin by examining your own log, your own contribution. And I think part of what happens, Christine, is that when we, we're having conflict or when we have grievances against one another, it makes us spec detectives. Mm-hmm. You know, we're constantly looking immediately at our spouse for whatever prospects we perceive in them. We're ever probing on the lookout. And the thing is we don't see clearly, I think it's so interesting that Jesus says specifically and then if you take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your your brother's eye so so the metaphor being used there speaks to perception that we we can't see clearly so if you want to see clearly the lord says you must first deal with yourself deal with your own plank and so i would i would just take that practical principle and say first are you Are you locating yourself in the problem as a person with a potential plank person with a center? So that's one place. uh, That's probably where I might start. Then again, again, questions are a great way to engage people that are in conflict in a very chaotic and confusing thing. So you don't go as the answer person. You go asking questions. You go seeking information. You go wanting to get to know them. Uh, And then you go guiding them through questions. And so another question I might might ask is, are are you listening to each other in a way that you could repeat your spouse's concerns in a way they would agree with them? So, I I mean, you know, as well as I do, Christine, the conflict, it charges perspectives with emotion Mm -hmm. and, and we tend to kind of sanitize our own views and then exaggerate our spouses or, or demonize them in some way. And so are we listening close enough that we could actually reproduce their perspective in a way they would agree with? Yeah, so those are a couple of things. There's other things that pop to mind, but I, maybe let me, let me mention one other one because I think the church, the nature of the church, leaders in the church, fellowship in the church can be a really important facet to breakthrough in marriages so you know are are there mature voices that are speaking into your perception of the problem you know in proverbs the wise person is always moving towards others with perspective moving towards others for perspective it's the the fool is the one who asserts and then protects their take on things and so you know mature voices can be an important part of, of of moving forward
0: Thank you, yeah, for offering those practical steps. I would also add that, you know, if you are interested in learning more about what Dave was just talking about, we do have a couple of audio recordings from Dave's Previous appearances at IBCD conferences uh, where he was teaching out of the book When Sinners Say I Do. So, maybe a practical step is to consider what Dave was just talking about and then scrolling down, clicking the link in the show notes, and accessing those free audios that are hosted on the IBCD website. I will link to those for your ease and um, you can go ahead and check them out. And then maybe that's a good segue, Dave, to talk about the companion study guide to I Still Do. So, another practical resource that couples could work through is purchasing the book and working through the study guide would you take a few minutes to tell us how couples or even maybe older mentors who are working with a younger couple in their church how they might work through this curriculum
1: yeah the study guide is designed to take either an individual or a group through a, a reflective walk around the essential content of each chapter and so there's a reading And then there are reflection questions there's there's a prayer and then there are small group discussion questions that small groups can can gather and talk in as well and uh and so that's distinguished from the devotional so so just this week the 31 day devotional was was released uh in uh, i think it was october 12th uh and so that's that's a 31 day devotional for couples To guide them through just a month of Bible teaching on marriage, uh, their stories and and lessons that will improve the marriage. So I'm really excited about that because I think it's going to be an awesome tool to help anyone who wants to make their marriage more durable. And I don't know any period of recent history where marriages have been more under threat Than during this pandemic and with all of its attending temptations and and challenges and the isolation that comes with it. So I think it's a it's a timely release of the devotional as well. So it's just called the I Still Do devotional.
0: Yeah, really incredible that you have been able to put three different resources together for marriages who are maybe stuck in a rut or in that post-newlywed season where they're starting to realize, hey, there's a there's a lot of stuff coming at us right now that we don't really know how to deal with. Really, really thankful that you have taken the time to put this collection of resources together. Well, Dave, we're just about out of time today, but I'd like to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode whose marriage is in need of a tune-up. What would you say to this listener to encourage them to trust God for the grace that's needed in order to go the distance with their spouse?
1: First, I would say to you, the listener, that I I can relate. Kim and I, over the past 38 years, have needed regular tune-ups. And uh, even beyond tune-ups, we have needed to involve other people to get help with perspective in areas where we just weren't moving forward so first you're not unusual you're not uncommon we can relate secondly I'd say I'm I'm studying Hebrews chapter 4 right now and I want this to encourage you we have a savior who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he is the great high priest he sympathizes with us and that I, I want that I want you to ponder that. I want you to let that settle on your soul. Jesus was never married, but but he knows what it's like to feel alone, to feel misunderstood, to be alienated from ones who you love, to be sinned against by another person. And he understands, he gets you right now and you can come to him, which is probably the The other thing I would mention, uh, because it flows right out of that verse, Uh, the, the final verse in there is verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. So because he is this sympathetic savior, we can now confidently, confidently draw near and we can draw near expecting to receive something expecting to receive grace and mercy to help in our time of need. So do you need help right now? Is this your time of need? Well, we'll flee to the Savior, flee to the throne of grace, and you will receive mercy and find grace for help in your time of need. So if resilience in your marriage right now is the goal, study Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. If if resilience is the goal, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is the passage. And uh, I, I hope it's an encouragement to you in the same way it has been to me.
0: Thank you so much, Dave, for those words of encouragement. I want to let the listener know that if you are interested in getting access to Dave's books, the I Still Do series, the devotional, the study guide, and the book itself, you can scroll down in the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all those resources along with the free audios that I mentioned earlier in this conversation. Now, Dave, if there's someone listening to the show who wants to get connected with you and your resources, you've got a lot of Stuff going in terms of on, on the online world with blogs and articles and appearances. Where can they go to connect with you to get access to all that information?
1: So there's a, a website that uh, that I have under revdaveharvey.com, and on that website there are all kinds of free materials, uh, marriage materials, marriage helps, uh, videos related to marriage, and they can go there. And then they can also subscribe on that website and uh, and then they'll get material, additional material that I'm writing that I just send to kind of the family of 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 subscribers. And uh, and I'm on social media as well on Twitter and Facebook and and Instagram as well. And you can find me on there.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll definitely sign up to be an email subscriber. I had no idea that you sent out email resources and I'm all about that. So thank you so much, Dave, for uh, giving us some, some additional ways to get connected with you and your resources, but also for taking time today to talk about how we can work together with our spouse to really glorify God and grow through the various challenges and, or as you say, defining moments in our marriages. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks, Christine. It was great talking to you.
0: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.